Brief disclaimer, there's a mention of a previous story we told on this podcast that has mutilation and sexual assault. Absolutely nothing graphic today, other than the mention of the events of the other story, but it is there. You can find more info on the show post at mythpodcast.com. It's linked in the show notes. This week on Myths and Legends, it's the end of Greek mythology. And you have a front row seat to how it all goes down. You'll see which creature had the right to the heavens, even before the Greek pantheon, and we'll learn what the Greek gods are up to today. The creature this week is the snail guy. That lives in your beard. This is Myths and Legends, episode 270, Cloud Cuckoo Land. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today's story takes place at the end. The Trojan War is over. Everything is settled. People sacrifice to the gods, but they're more concerned about their day-to-day struggles. And the Olympians? They're on autopilot. No one is demanding much of them. And they spend their days drinking, arguing, and yeah, menacing humans occasionally, but not as much. Far fewer epic heroes being born these days. The hundred-handers, the giants, the monsters of old, everything that once posed a threat to the Olympians is gone. Well, almost everything. Little did they know, an enemy from when the world was young still lurked in overwhelming numbers, needing only a spark to take flight. Dad, what are you doing? Dionysus, the god of drama and wine, said, pushing through the leaves into the clearing. You're you're supposed to be chopping wood and wait, why do you have my recording equipment? Podcasting, Zeus beamed. It was a legitimate thing now. Sorry he put it down for so long. Yeah, he thought he would tell the oral history of the fall of the Olympians. Dionysus looked over the script. Solid idea for an episode, but yeah, this this needed some work. Spark to take flight. What exactly is the metaphor here? Uh, Also, the freeze frame meme thing coming up, it really needs the visual component. Zeus snatched his script back. Bro, doesn't matter. This is all just content. All we do is just fill time with our talky-talky-talk-talk so we can jam it with ads. Hey, how do we feel about an ad break within our ad break? Dionysus said it wasn't just about money and he hated the word content. It's about making something meaningful and being able to support yourself. Zeus waved it away. Yeah, we, we talked about that last time. This is my show. You can't tell me how to run it, Zeus replied. He turned back to the mic. Record scratch. Freeze frame. Yup, that's me. I bet you're wondering, Zeusy boy, how'd you get here? One word, birds. Dionysus rolled his eyes and the episode began. Euripides trudged along behind Pisthetorus, up the mountain pass. Okay. When was Pisthetorus going to tell him what was going on? They left Athens, but they were now following a crow that Pisthetorus bought. Freed, Pisthetorus said, squinting, trying to figure out the direction of the crow's final ascent. No, you you bought it. You own it. It's a bird, Euripides corrected. Nope, freed it, Pisthetorus said louder this time. You can't own birds. 
Try telling that to any pets to... Ow! Euripides started, but he was cut off by the crow that almost cut off his finger, swooping down from on high. The Athenians stumbled, and Pisthetorus shot out an arm, catching Euripides before the man ended up painting the rocks in the valley. Did that bird just try to kill me? Euripides managed when he caught his breath. Pisthetorus nodded, yeah, like he said. Maybe Euripides should watch his words up here. Hey, why are we doing this again? We had a good thing going in Athens. But we leave the greatest city in the world to follow a bird into the mountains, Euripides managed. Pisthetorus stopped in front of a rock wall. Sure, Athens was good enough, but whoever wanted to settle for good enough, he had an idea that would change the world. And they were about to meet the man who was going to make that happen. This it? Pisthetorus asked the sky. The crow cawed, and Pisthetorus thanked the bird, then rapped three times on the stone. Terius? Are you in there? Pisthetorus yelled out. The stone wall before him was a door, a seam formed, and then the door swung open, revealing a kitchen, and a very annoyed butler bird. Footbird, the footbird corrected, and then, with as much of a sneer as he could manage with a beak, asked who called after his master. Pisthetorus bowed low. He was looking for Terius, the former king of Thrace. Wait, Terius. Oh, no, the one who was turned into a bird by Zeus? A hoopoo, right? Euripides asked. Wait, no, oh my goodness. Euripides remembered the stories about him. Oh, that was dark. Procne and Philomena, right? Terius lusted after his wife Procne's sister, cut out her tongue and kept her captive while he... You can say it. He raped her. The footbird stepped in. His wife learned the truth, fed him his children, and then Zeus turned them all into birds. King Terius was sorry every day for his crimes mainly because he remained in the form of a bird, a hoopoo. Well, he should be sorry? He's a rapist? Euclides said, still disgusted that they were here to talk with Terius. Oh, and you sacrificed to Zeus, Poseidon, Apollo? Pisthetorus jumped in. Coming back around, he needed to speak with Terius. He had an offer for the king. An offer? For me, they heard a voice bellow above. The wood of the nest on the peak parted, and a giant hoopoo, the stripes of his wings beaming in the sunlight, hopped out. Its mohawk-like plumage stood up as it looked below, studying the men, assessing if they were a threat. The sticks and rocks and dust flew up as the hoopoo lowered himself to speak with them. And who are you? the bird bellowed. Pisthetorus grinned. Men, Athenians, to be specific. Hmm, the hoopoo grunted. And why were they here? We're looking for something, Pisthetorus explained. Some, well, some place. He continued. You were once a man. You got into some trouble, but then you got out of trouble by being turned into a bird. Now... You fly. You fly over land and sea. You have a new perspective on the world, and you live in the sky. We are looking for a new city. Tyrius said first, Pisthetorus should get some things straight. He didn't, quote, get out of trouble. He was punished for all the horrible things he had done. Secondly, birds don't live in a city. They live apart in nests. And Pisthetorus was looking for a better place than Athens? 
different, not better necessarily, just easier. Pythagoras looked off in the distance. What if we could all start over? Athens was great, but it was a city built by people, layered on the pain of the past. What if they could build something new, where it wasn't just assumed that life was hard, and that's how it had to be? Like how birds live, no money, everyone having enough, everyone living in leisure and pleasure, not toiling so they can pay for their clothes and chariot to go toil some more. If you birds, with your wise way of living, would be guided by me, oh, the things we could do. He looked away and then waited for Tereus to take the bait. Guided by Pythagoras? How? Pythagoras said, first, stop all this flying around randomly nonsense. It was unpredictable, unreliable, and unsuitable for creatures of their stature. Tereus looked to his talons. That was fair. What did Pythagoras propose they do instead? He patted Tereus on his feathers. Build a city. Pythagoras pointed up to the clouds. Up there. Up there. Heaven itself. The place where only the birds had access. Build a wall around it and transform the emptiness into a city in the clouds. They would rule over humans like they currently rule over insects. And they would starve the gods. Tereus raised up his wing in alarm, but Pythagoras continued. The sky sits between humans and gods, right? Well, if they want the fragrant odors of their sacrifices, they would need to pay the birds, lest they starve and become nothing. Pythagoras looked to the hoopoo. Tereus, almost there. Look, what you did, raping your sister's wife and keeping her captive after cutting out her tongue so that she couldn't cry for help? Yes. That's bad stuff. Pythagoras watched Tereus lower his head. But who should be judging you for that? Zeus? Are any of the Olympians really worthy to judge any human? They've all been completely terrible. Zeus himself is a murderer and a rapist a dozen times over, and he sits on the throne? They don't rule because they're just. They rule by might. Well, let me tell you, the birds are stronger. Build up a city, gather all the birds together, put a wall between the gods and the humans, blockade Olympus, and you've reclaimed your place as rulers of the heavens. Pythagoras finished. Tereus waited a beat and then said, wait, reclaimed? Pythagoras gasped. Wait, Tereus didn't know? Did, did the birds not know? The bird, again, shook his feathers back and forth. Know what? Pythagoras put his hand on his chest. Wow, the victory of the gods was truly all-encompassing. They even took your history from you. You see, before the gods took control, there were birds. Before the earth, there was only the sky, the birds. When the titans were babies, the birds held dominion. It's yours by right, and soon it could be yours by conquest as well. The hoopoo, if true, this was big. He had to tell everyone. Preparations had to be made. The original play has him sending Procne, uh, his wife from mythology. Remember the one whose sister he... Yeah. Anyway, Tereus sent her out to inform the multitude of birds in the world. And I'm sure there are commentaries out there on why Aristophanes thought it was appropriate for her to return to a horrifically abusive situation, or if she had a choice at all. I say... 
let's use our imaginations and have the hoopoo, Terius, having gotten together with a bird who resembles his ex and move on. Regardless, wings flapped and the self-satisfied Pythetorus stood grinning. If he could say so about himself, he was a very smart man. This was a good choice. Pistaterus and Euelpides were running for their lives down the mountain road. They did not think this through. This was a horrible choice. For some reason, the birds were angry with them. They were angry at all humans and didn't trust them for some reason. I mean, maybe it was the catching, the hunting, the plucking, the cooking, the eating of birds. Who's to say? Definitely not Pistaterus, who could only scream. The mass of birds didn't wait to hear him out. They dove on the attack and the humans ran for their lives. Their sandals skidded on the rocks as the cloud of birds squawked down, blocking their way. Hawks, vultures, eagles, flamingos? They blocked the path again. The humans turned back the way they came, but talons and hooked beaks filled their vision there. The wall of wings began to close in on them, while the geese and ravens, the blue jays and the starlings sat on the rocks above, like the spectators in the future Roman Colosseum, cawing out for blood. Beaks snapped at fingers when the birds stopped. They still flapped, hovering in the road ahead, making sure the humans couldn't leave, but they no longer advanced. Then, the shadow of the hoopoo fell on all. He said that he had lived in both worlds, the human world and the bird world. He knew how much the birds despised the humans, who were their greatest enemies. Euopides almost chimed in to say that the humans really didn't think of birds as their worst enemies. They barely thought about them at all, except to, you know, eat them and kill them, but realized that that would only make things worse. Tyrius, the hoopoo, continued, saying that he had been a king of the humans. He had fought wars, and he came away knowing that you could learn things from your allies, sure, but you learn the most from your enemies, and quicker too. Like, you don't learn to build walls and sharpen weapons because of your friends, but your enemies. And he could only say that these humans came with new knowledge. The greatest enemy of the birds was not the humans after all. In fact, both humans and birds were kept down by others, forced to fight so that they never realized the truth. They were powerful. They could be like the gods. The birds all flapped down to the road. Okay, they were listening. Pistaterus breathed and stepped out. All right, here we go. He told the birds that he loved and admired their lives, their freedom, their majesty. The birds, I guess not super familiar with pandering, nodded in unison. Yes, they were awesome. Pistaterus was permitted to continue. Pistaterus asked only one thing. When he was finished, a vote. Either they accepted what he said and made Pistaterus the president of birds, or they could tear him and his companion to pieces. Euopides said uh, that's not something they talked about, but Pistaterus brushed him aside as the birds, again, nodded in assent. Fair enough. Cards on the table, though, they were pretty excited to eviscerate him. Pistaterus said that a, quote, bliss beyond their imaginings could be theirs, which, way to start small, Pistaterus, he said that once they were kings and queens, lords over all creation, of humans, of Zeus. Before Kronos and the Titans, before the Earth, there were only the birds. The birds were skeptical, 
But Pythagoras continued. It only goes to show that the rule of birds is still burned on the human psyche. They get up when the rooster crows, as if being commanded. Other birds sing at night, telling them to go to bed, and they obey. So, yeah, those two things. But that was taken from the birds. That honor, that power by the gods. The birds were the gods, but their history was stripped from their minds through long years of being hunted and eaten by those that should serve them. The birds were still, and they all nodded. Pythagoras said that they must know on some level that they were meant to do more than live each day scrounging around for food, merely surviving. One bird stepped forward. Knowing this, what would Pythagoras propose they do? The human nodded first. There should be a singular bird city in the clouds, taking up the entirety of the sky, and the sky itself should be hemmed in by massive walls. The birds had never thought about that. Cities belong to humans. Maybe they could learn something. Pythagoras stepped forward, and after this city was established and the walls were in place, Zeus would be forced to pay tribute to the birds. The birds asked, what if he refused, though? Pythagoras laughed. Oh, he'd refuse. But the birds would need to give him and the other gods no quarter. The birds would need to show the gods that they were no longer in control. And with all the birds gathered in the city, they would be able to force the Olympians to do their bidding. Then the humans could sacrifice to the birds instead. The birds asked how they were going to get the humans on board with that. Pythagoras said that it was simple augury, or rather, when humans thought birds knew the future, when really they just saw a bunch of stuff all over the world and talked constantly. Humans didn't care who they sacrificed to, as long as they could get rich doing it. Show the miner where the silver veins are, use your knowledge of the sky to tell the farmer when it's going to rain, keep humans from sinking at sea by telling them of storms, that alone will be more than the gods ever did for them. Their temples will be well-tended forests full of fruit worms, and seeds. Both the humans and the birds would benefit from that. The birds staggered back. It was so simple. Everyone could win from this. Everyone except the Olympians. But to be fair, they had been winning to everyone else's detriment for far too long. Yes, they would do it. They would march alongside him in the war with the Olympians. They would reclaim their scepter that was theirs by birthright. They were in. They were ready for the Pythagoras administration. What could they do? Pythagoras said that, well, they should get started building. Building their walls and building their city in the clouds. The birds squawked in agreement. Sure, but what should they call it? Pythagoras thought for a second. They would call it Cloud Cuckoo Land. see some surprising changes come for both the birds and Pythagoras, but that will be right after this. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Pistateris and Uelpides flapped their own wings. Wow, that was convenient that Bird Terius found that root that gave people wings. Hey, is that a red bull down in that field there? Uelpides squinted. Yeah, they could see so much from up here. Anyway, how was progress coming along in the city? Terius said that it was good, actually. With all the birds in the world working in unison, instead of flying all over for no reason whatsoever all the time, the streets, nests, perches, and everything was nearly complete. They now only needed to finish the wall. And in fact, they already had humans shuffling their way up the mountain. Most were people looking to join this utopia in the clouds. Some were poets, lawmakers, oracles, and the like. Want to parade them one by one as we discuss what's wrong with our current society, and each one ends with you threatening to beat them or actually beating them? Best theaters thought about it. Nah, nah, that sounds like something that would play really well to an Athenian audience but could get a little tiresome upon review 2,500 years later. Like, from an anthropological and historical perspective, yeah, all for it. Like, maybe we can write it down under a pen name, I don't know, Aristophanes, and if people are interested, they can read through what we would have said, but let's just skip it. The footbird nodded. Very good, sir. He shooed away about five solid minutes of commentary on how annoying poets, lawmakers, oracles, and others are. Then two messages came through almost simultaneously. The first, the wall was built, and with it, cloud cuckoo land was complete. The second, there was a bogey. A god flew in through one of the gates before the jackdaws had a chance to close it. What should they do? Pistaterus asked, what did they think they should do if the gods violate their airspace? The messenger said, attack? Pistaterus grinned. There it was. The ferocity of the gods of old. Yes, scramble all the birds with curved talons. Kestrels, buzzards, owls, vultures, and eagles. Surrounding ground. And then bring the interloper to him. They have permission to use force if necessary. The bird saluted. Sir, yes, sir. It wasn't long before, surrounded by a swarming mass of snapping beaks, Iris herself, with her rainbow wings, floated down before Pistaterus. What did he think he was doing? She was the messenger of the Olympian gods, and he was impeding her mission. He thought that was Hermes? Uh, messenger, that is. Iris replied that no, that's a common misconception. Yes, he did function as a messenger, but in more of a herald sense, relaying their proclamations. She was the messenger to the humans. Pistaterus said, cool, cool. And, uh, 
did she report to the jackdaws in immigration for entrance into their city? Iris laughed. Ugh, this was nonsense. She started to fly up. Oh, careful now. We don't want to put you under arrest. So, you didn't come through immigration. Uh, do you have a travel visa? And this is all in the original, by the way. She said, of course not. She was Iris, an Olympian goddess. Pythetorus said, okay, well, he didn't know who she was. She didn't identify herself before flying into their territory. And she incriminated herself. She could be put to death for her crimes. She laughed. She was immortal. Pythetorus cocked an eyebrow. That so? Well, they would see. You know what? He was a human. What was her message for Earth? Iris looked at the birds surrounding her. Not much of a choice, and he was a human. She looked at the wings. Mostly human. She took a deep breath and said, Yeah, well, the sacrifices... The humans have been slacking. They needed to fill the air with burnt offerings, lest they earn the ire of the gods. I'm sorry, uh, you're gonna have to help me out here. What gods? Pythetorus stopped her. Iris said, the only gods, them, the gods on Olympus. Pythetorus laughed. Oh, that's interesting. That was their problem. The people, the birds too, didn't recognize Olympian authority. The people now sacrificed to birds. It was a symbiotic relationship of planting trees and casting seeds out onto the fields of leaving fruit for them after the humans had gathered their harvest. No demands. No commitments. It was easy. It was Iris's turn to laugh. The fool. He tempted the anger of the gods. He needed to stop this ridiculousness, or the power of the gods would wipe him and his birds from the earth. Pythetorus stepped closer. Hmm. The power of the Olympians. Tell me, Iris, was it? Do you feel powerful right now? She looked to the birds, the hooked talons surrounding her, the hungry eyes watching her every move. They went as far as she, a god, could see. She didn't answer. I'll let you go. You're welcome, Pythetorus smiled. But she wouldn't be going to Earth. She would be going back to Olympus, where she would deliver a message. That's what she did, right? She was a messenger? She would tell Daddy Zeus that he was welcome to send an envoy to discuss terms. But if Pythetorus or any of his birds had trouble with the Olympians, Pythetorus would send a squadron of eagles, a squadron bigger than the mountain on which the Olympians sat, to tear them to pieces and burn down their home. Iris sneered. She didn't need to tell Zeus. He was watching this conversation right now. Pythetorus would be lucky if he survived the day. Pythetorus was unfazed. Oh? Well, if Zeus already knew, then, then they didn't need her. He turned to his eagles. Kill her. She shot off, leaving a trail of rainbow, screaming to Zeus to do it, strike forth with his lightning, kill the blasphemer. But nothing happened. Pythetorus could only imagine what was going on in the mind of the king of the so-called gods. But Zeus probably knew that killing Pythetorus wouldn't solve his problem. Cloud Cuckoo Land was built. The walls were up. The birds had been awakened to their own power. There was no going back now. Pythetorus told a messenger to leave one of the gates open and spread the word that once Iris flew from it, the Eagle Corps was to disengage. They wouldn't draw first blood in this war. He looked up to the sky, to the son of Cronus he knew was watching. He said that he hoped the king would see reason 
and would come to the table. He knew it didn't matter, though. They had sent a message to Zeus. And Zeus, by not pulling a Zeus and retaliating at that moment, had shown his hand. The Olympians were history. You have a visitor, sir, the footbird said to Pistaterus. He smiled. Finally, he would see the Olympian envoy on the grand perch. The footbird said it wasn't the Olympians. It was a guy in a blanket. And it was. It was a guy wrapped in a blanket with an umbrella over his head. Prometheus, hi, the being whispered. Pistaterus staggered back. Wow, now this was an honor. He shook the titan's hand and looked to his side. could barely see the scar anymore. How many eons had he been up there on that rock, having his liver torn out for bringing fire to the humans? Also, why was he wearing a blanket and an umbrella? Prometheus whispered thanks. It was always nice to meet a fan. He was wearing this because he could not be seen here. Pystaterus might know this, but Prometheus had been pardoned by Zeus after Hercules released him, so he was allowed to hang around Olympus. He just wanted to come down here and say that Pystaterus needed to stay the course. Things were bad up there. The birds had laid siege to Olympus, and Zeus was facing a coup. Pystaterus and Cloud Cuckoo Land were keeping all the burnt offerings from coming through. The Olympians were fasting, and Zeus was facing pressure from all sides. Zeus knew he couldn't face the force of all the birds, no matter how many thunderbolts he had, and he didn't know who would fight for him anyway. Negotiations were imminent. Now it was up to Pystaterus. What did he want? Pystaterus said, uh, freedom to live in peace in Cloud Cuckoo Land? The tyranny of capricious gods to end? Prometheus shook his head. No, well, yes, but that wasn't all. Pystaterus wanted control over his life. He wanted sovereignty. Pystaterus said, sure, but that was kind of the same thing. But Prometheus held up a hand in the shadow of his umbrella. No, Pystaterus wanted sovereignty. He wanted to marry sovereignty. Pystaterus said, oh, it was like a personification thing. Got it. Also, who is she? Prometheus whispered that she was the girl who looked after Zeus's thunderbolts. It was a metaphor for the sovereignty of the gods coming from their use of unrelenting violence. But she was also a real being. Get her from Zeus? And that's the game. Prometheus came to tell him about this. The president of Cloud Cuckoo Land held out his hand, thanking Prometheus for the grilled sardines. Because without fire, you can't have grilled sardines. Prometheus nodded. Okay, that was a new one. You're welcome. But no thanks needed. He hated the Olympians the usurper gods, and he was always looking out for the humans. When it came to the Olympians, he only had one request. Make them pay. Pystaterus said that he would. Prometheus smiled. Even though this place was immensely triggering because the bird had torn out his liver every day for centuries, this was the end of something that had started a long time ago. He was going to stick around. Pystaterus thanked the Titan and began his preparations. We'll see Zeus send his best and brightest, or the best and brightest that will still listen to him, but that will be right after this. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It wasn't a month before, conch shells blowing, the delegation was at the gate of Cloud Cuckoo Land. There were two of them, well, two of them from the Greeks, that is. There was a third god of what the Greeks called barbarians, but he was barely intelligible, which there's kind of a lot to get into there. Anyway, the ranking member of the group was Poseidon, god of the sea, an older brother of Zeus, and Hercules, Zeus's son by Alcmene, a mortal. If you're not familiar with Hercules, he's actually Heracles, but I made the decision to start calling him Hercules six years ago, and here we are. Hera hated Hercules, causing him to murder his own family in a fit of mindless rage, and then he had to complete 12 labors to purify himself for his crimes. Hercules stood ready. So, Poseidon would identify the bird guy, and Hercules would take care of him. Got it. Poseidon said, uh, no, this was a diplomatic mission. Hercules nodded. Got it. Don't strangle him the minute you see him. The demigod winked. Poseidon sighed. Seriously, don't. Hercules said that this was getting confusing. Okay, wink twice if you want me to strangle him. He studied Poseidon's face for a few seconds before smirking. Got it. Loud and clear, boss. That wasn't two winks. That was a blink, Poseidon said. Just then, even Hercules shrank from Pythagoras' entourage. Birds filled the sky, the buildings around them, and the ground as well. Hercules was pretty sure that he was immortal, thanks to his deeds. I mean, he had died once, but he didn't think that would happen again. But he didn't want to put that to the test. If he wasn't, then there was no way he'd leave Cloud Cuckoo Land alive. Pythagoras said that they should get down to bronze tax. Did the Olympians come here to surrender? Were Poseidon and Hercules authorized to negotiate? Poseidon was incensed. He was god of the sea, and these were birds. Negotiate? He spat. Pythagoras blinked, so is that a yes, or... Hercules, studying the bird host, said yes, 100%. He definitely wasn't scared. Pythagoras nodded, good. Their terms were complete surrender of the Olympians, and relinquishing control of everything back to the birds. Then, they'd all have lunch. Hercules stuck out a hand. Deal. Poseidon slapped it away. What was he doing? He would deprive Zeus of his sovereignty just like that? Pythagoras explained that it wasn't so bad. All that would change was that the birds and the Olympians would co-op. Sacrifices would be made to the birds and the Olympians. At the human discretion, of course. And the birds would hold the humans to their oaths. 
If someone swore on Zeus and a raven, the raven would fly down and peck the person's eyes out if they didn't do what they said. Poseidon nodded. Wow, that actually didn't sound bad. Ruling was the worst part about ruling. They just, what, collect a salary and hang out then? Poseidon and Hercules looked to each other. That sounded pretty awesome. Pythetorus nodded. Great. Then they were in agreement. Oh, one more thing. Zeus and Hera could remain wedded, of course, but the marriage between himself, Pythetorus, and Sovereignty, the woman who watched over Zeus's lightning bolts, that had to be arranged. Poseidon stood. Well, it looked like the birds didn't want a treaty then. He made to leave, but Hercules stopped him. He held up a finger and asked the birds for a minute. He said that Poseidon was in the ocean most of the time, so he didn't know how bad wars could get. The birds? They weren't messing around. Were the Olympians really going to fight a war over sovereignty? She was one woman. The humans went through something like that, and the last guy just got home, like 20 years later. Poseidon said that Hercules was acting against his own interests. He stood to inherit everything from Zeus. Pythetorus cleared his throat. Ah, hi. Couldn't help but overhear because you guys didn't actually, like, step aside. You just had your conversation out there in the open. Uh, a couple things. Zeus is immortal, so that doesn't really make sense. How could you be his heir? He'll never die. But Athena is referred to by the humans as heiress of Zeus. And Hercules is only a demigod. So Poseidon might be misrepresenting some things because even if Hercules laid claim to some of Zeus's property, Poseidon would dispute it. That is, of course, if Zeus ever died, which he wouldn't, because he's immortal. Pystaterus held out his hand. Take the deal. It was the best one the birds were ever going to offer. Poseidon and Hercules looked at each other, nodded, and Hercules shook on it. So that's how it happened, Zeus said, sitting on the beach, speaking into a sure SM7B. You know, I'm not even mad about it. The wedding between Sovereignty and Pythetorus was top-notch, and now the birds control everything. We had to share Olympus with them, but after a week, the place was covered in bird poop, so now we're down here. It's nice, though. It's cozy. In the background, the other Olympians cut wood, constructed houses, and cleared out parts of the island. Yeah, we don't have powers anymore, now that we're splitting the sacrifices with the birds, but we'll still be around. Got an up-and-coming podcast network you can check out at thezeusisloose.com. Poseidon is interviewing fish, Dionysus is getting into fictionalized shows, and Hercules is talking with influencers about workouts, supplements, the blockchain, and having a growth hack mindset. Whatever that means. Sounds terrible, but we have a two-year contract, so yeah, check it out, I guess. Zeus sighed and continued. As I reflect on our journey, I see now that maybe we served our purpose. No story goes on forever. Everything ends. Maybe we were what was necessary to guide humanity from its infancy, until they could not only stand on their own two legs, but thrive all on their own. They don't need us anymore, and you know what? I'm okay with that. Our time on the stage has ended, and now we need to take a bow and exit. Sometimes... It can be hard to accept that things are over. It was all so fleeting, even for us. If I had any advice to give, 
I'd say appreciate and love the people in your life while you have them, because the only constant in this world is change. Oh my gosh, what? Dionysus, who had been sitting there watching, shrugged, uh, nothing, it's just, this is your big send-off. You want to end on such a cliched line like that? Also, you have been and continue to be just terrible to everyone, your wife, your kids, humans. Just this morning, you put Hephaestus's bed on a raft, like some summer camp prank. He can't swim. Zeus laughed. Classic Hephaestus. Falling off stuff and trying not to die. Uh, what's your point here? He was scanning his phone and definitely paying attention. My point, Dionysus continued, is that things are different now. We're no longer the gods. I don't know what we are, but there are consequences to your actions. Zeus gasped when he saw his phone. Oh, nope, sorry. There aren't. I mean, there would be, but I'm rich. He showed Dionysus his phone. Just received an email from my agent. My shoes just got acquired by Spotify for millions of dollars. Back on top. Dionysus's shoulders slumped, and Zeus looked at his reflection in a tide pool. Better fluff the old beard before making the announcement, and... Oh. Hello there, handsome. Zeus smirked, and then settled in. Dad, aren't, aren't you going to announce your big win? Dionysus asked. Of course, of course. Just, I'll, I'll be a minute. You go warm up the crowd. I'm going to uh, stay here for a little bit. Looking at this handsome guy, my favorite person, he winked at himself. He blushed. Oh, me. Dionysus said, okay, just don't stay there forever. Remember, we all need to eat now and stuff. Zeus said that he wouldn't stay by the water forever. He wasn't a narcissus. A flower that sat by the water all day. Just as pretty as one, though, he said to the dashing silver fox in the reflection. Dionysus said, okay, whatever, and went back to work. Today's episode was based on the play The Birds by Athenian writer Aristophanes. Is this the end of Greek mythology? Probably not canonically. It's not like Ragnarok is for Norse mythology. Is it a fun story to tell in this show? Absolutely. We'll probably still revisit Greek and Roman mythology, of course, but this is a fun one I've been wanting to do for a while. It might be the end of Greek mythology, but it's not the end of this podcast. Next week, it is a scary, twisted Cinderella story from Korean mythology a more twisted Cinderella story than the usual Cinderella story. The creature this week is the Kickle Snifter, a fearsome critter from North America. If you didn't know, a fearsome critter is one that lumberjacks and other forest workers talked about to scare and entertain each other during those long nights working far off in the forest. And the Kickle Snifter was right there listening. Like, right there, because the kickle snifter is if lice were snails, and also bored, and lived exclusively in long beards. The kickle snifter is kind of a parasite, I mean, if we knew what they ate, which is unsettling in its own fun way. Still, they don't seem to be all that bad. 
They just hang out in big bushy beards, and while they should probably hide, they don't wanna. Imagine a turn-of-the-century lumberjack beard, and then imagine living there. It would be sweaty and smelly. The kickle snifter has to come up for air, and at least they are smart about it. Kind of. They wait until the person has eaten a big meal and is reclining at the table. Then, in the hopefully dim light, they make their way out to the surface. Of course, they can't help but laugh because the beard hair tickles them, but since they're the size of a human thumb, their laugh isn't all that loud. They aren't really particularly malicious, though we really have no idea what their end game is. To avoid getting them, just clean your beard. Really, it's not like head lice. They're tiny people, about the size of snails, treating your beard like a ropes course. Just shampoo your beard once in a while and you're good. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. The theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to more of the music we used in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.